This is Block by Block, a community news program from WPPM LP 106.5 FM, where we explore issues affecting the Philadelphia area with news reports from members of the community. I'm Yonique Myrie. And I'm Laura Rosenbach. In the next half hour, we'll hear stories from our community news reporters about how an after-school programs and rec centers can help deter gun violence, an environmental organization working in our community to help combat climate change, and the power that names hold. First, voters in Philadelphia headed to the polls yesterday to make their picks for mayor, city council, and other races. Nine candidates competed for the Democratic nomination for mayor, and former city council member Cheryl Parker came out on top with more than 30% of the vote. She'll go up against Republican former city council member David O. in the November election. But in a city with far more registered Democrats than Republicans, Parker is widely expected to win. That would make her the first woman in history to become mayor in Philadelphia. Block by Block's E. Marie Lambert spoke with voters in Roxburgh to get their thoughts on the primary election. So this is E. Marie Lambert reporting for Block by Block at the 21st Ward and the 29th Division in Roxborough. So now I'm sitting here with a young lady. What's your name? Anna. So why, why do you feel like voting is important? I feel like it's in some ways some of the only really impactful and guaranteed ways that our voices are heard and our opinions are heard. And this is the way that I'm trying to just be engaged and, you know, be a good citizen and help my friends do the same. So I am here with Therese Cooney. What are you looking for in the mayor that we choose? What do you think um, should be at the forefront? I mean, obviously, of course, the hot topics are crime, education, Mm -hmm. and safety. However, for me personally, I feel like a lot of it has to do with, I think there's a lot of corruption in Philadelphia. So I want Mm -hmm. a candidate who's going to be honest and fair and make our city a better place. So I have a gentleman here. He's going to remain anonymous. So um, what do you think the three top priorities should be? Uh, It should be the... uh to help within the city for us um, cleaning up the city. You know, I would like to see like certain areas like um, Frankfurt and, and Kensington cleaned up. We want to do something about that, the drug uh, situation. Okay. We want to do something about the crime in the city as well. We mm-hmm. should see if we can get that crime taken down those numbers, as well as the financial stability of the city itself for our city council or, or whatever they need to do with the departments within the, the city and the municipal uh, workers. Try to find out, yeah, what we can do to sustain it, stabilize uh, the workers. So now I'm sitting with a committee man. So say your name for me. Brendan Young. So have you seen a lot of foot traffic? No, this is probably one of the lighter elections that I've been through. Uh, usually the mayoral and DA elections are a little slower and the governor and presidential are Isn't little, that so funny? Yeah. I know, especially since the mayor and council, they make a lot of policy that directly impacts, you know, our everyday lives that take this as seriously as a presidential election, but it often, I think, goes unnoticed. I think voting matters, but it's only one step. 
get involved earlier in political campaigns, figuring out which candidates that you support go door to door, reach out to your neighbors, have conversations about who to vote with. And then after Election Day, stay engaged, stay in touch with your elected officials, right? It's not just a one day a year thing, but it's a continual process that happens before Election Day and then staying in touch after Election Day as well. How do you stay engaged with the community like after you become committee person? So the nice thing about the committee structure is it's very neighbor by neighbor based, right? Like it's a small subsect of a neighborhood. So just really staying in touch with your neighbors and hearing what your neighbors' needs are. And then using that to, if there are things that are going on in the neighborhood as small as like a stop sign needing to be put up or speed bumps Mm -hmm. or something like that to some larger issues that are going on, that you stay plugged and connected to what's going on in the community and that you can use what opportunities there are as a committee person to advocate with that is I think probably the biggest thing. But it's a lot of the informal stuff of really just getting to know your neighbor's names, staying in touch with them, connecting them with them, not necessarily just about elections, but about life as well. Gun violence among young people in Philadelphia is on the rise, according to statistics from the police department. While there are many reasons, including poverty and easy access to guns, one thing many community members say is that there aren't enough rec centers or after-school activities in the city. Unique brings us this story about some groups that provide, the ser- that provide services they say can help keep young people out of trouble. According to Philadelphia Police Department data, 217 people under the age of 18 were shot last year, and nearly 80% of them were black. And the number of juvenile homicide victims in the city tripled between 2015 and 2021. Tina Fields is unit director at the Germantown Boys and Girls Club. She says one way to help curb gun violence among youth is by offering kids a safe place to be. We hold them accountable for their actions and we try to steer them and mentor them in the best directions we can. We try to give them all the tools so that when they're not here in the building, they can make the best possible choices, as well as always just trying to have a welcoming environment so that they don't feel judged and that they know that they are accepted by us no matter where they're all coming from in terms of what their home lives are, what their backgrounds are. And even with all the staff, we're all very different. All of our kids are very different. So we just try to have that welcoming environment because if they're here, at least we know they're safe. The Germantown Boys and Girls Club is located at 25 West Penn Street and has been serving youth since 1887. The club's programs are tailored to different age groups and includes both educational and recreational activities. With a yearly membership fee of just $5, young people can join this or any one of the many Boys and Girls Club throughout the city. In this building, we have two gyms. We are able to offer them a lot more social recreational time than maybe other places with only one gym or not gyms. The club offers young people a chance to hone their gaming and collaboration skills both on and off the court. We also have a game room where we try to have the kids work on their social relationships with one another, as well as learning how to be a good winner and not be a sore loser and get to have all different kinds of interactions. And we try to offer kids things that they can't necessarily do at home. And I tell them all the time, you can be on your phone at home, you can be on TikTok at home, but you can't play pool with all of these people. Um, We also do have two technology centers here. The club tries to meet the current and future needs and interests of young people. 
One of our tech centers doubles as a video game center, and our hope is that we'll be able to teach kids coding and talk more about jobs in the industry of gaming because that's such a booming business in general and a career that a lot of our kids could strive for. The club also has a teen center in their basement. Tina says this is fully designed for them. I spoke with Daman Dixon to find out about her experience at the club. I'm a 17-year-old teenager, and I love my time here. I spend my time here doing my homework. I talk to my friends. I socialize. And it's a very safe community and a safe place for me to really enjoy my teenage years. I like coming to the club because it gives me a sense of home and it's really somewhere safe for me. Another program that offers young people a safe place to be is Mighty Riders. Mighty Riders is a nonprofit organization that offers free writing-related programs to young people, regardless of their socioeconomic status. The Germantown branch of Mighty Riders is new, having just opened in January at 12 Church Lane. Brianna Crump is program manager of the Germantown branch. She says teaching kids writing can also help kids develop other skills. You know, I love to foster kids' creativity, and I love to help them build their own voice and have confidence within their writing, you know, because a lot of kids struggle with that. This program is the perfect program to help kids express themselves through writing. Because once you learn and foster your writing skills, you're able to communicate better. So when they're in these spaces like this, that helps you with your creativity, that helps you develop your own voice, that helps you communicate better with not just adults but other children then you're able to go out into the world and you're able to express how you feel in a calm cool collected way other than going out and being violent and if there's less kids out on the street and there's more kids in spaces like this then yes violence and crime is definitely going to go down among young people Mighty Riders offer several different programs which are tailored to different age groups starting as young as three but they also have some gender-specific programs for 10 to 16 years old. So Mighty Brotherhood is a program for young males where they do journaling and they also do community building and being around other young males to develop like a sense of community. Being able to communicate with other young males is really important. Joshua Myers, a participant in the Brotherhood program, had this to say. I like the collaborative writing because you really got to know each other and it was really fun. I really learned how like, to write down and journal a lot, like how I felt and what I was thinking about. The Girl Power program is similar to Mighty Brotherhood, but geared towards young women. Brianna says that young women also need programs that help them with their confidence. In that program, we specialize in you know, helping girls with their self-esteem and recognizing that there's power within them and their voices, but we also we do it through writing. It's important to establish that sisterhood between one another. Throughout Philadelphia, there are many other affordable or free programs geared towards the empowerment and upliftment of young people. They all provide a safe space to be. To find a list of other programs, you can visit the website of the Children's Advocacy Project of Philadelphia at capsforkids.org.
A group called the Hollow Biant Laboratory recently acquired a vacant lot in West Philadelphia. They're using it as a practice space to figure out ways that everyday people can prepare for the effects of climate change. Block by Block reporter Robin Markle interviewed members of the group on site at the lot. In late March, the Philadelphia Water Department issued a series of warnings to residents that our tap water might not be safe to drink because of a chemical spill upstream. After a few days of monitoring, no evidence of contamination was found in Philly's water, but the uncertainty and threat of not having access caused a surge in purchases of bottled water. Stores across the city quickly sold out. The experience catalyzed many people to think about how to prepare for a water emergency in the future. A group called the Holobiant Laboratory has been learning and experimenting in how to prepare for energy and water crises since 2020. The laboratory takes a do-it-yourself approach to preparing for natural disasters and other impacts of unmitigated climate change. I spoke with Holobiant Lab co-founders Emily Appendroth and Dave Onion about their work. The Holobiant Laboratory came out of some conversations about the impending climate chaos. We talked a little bit about disaster preparedness, but we also talked about how a lot of the changes that need to happen, like solarizing things and changes in our energy and infrastructure, will probably leave people in our neighborhoods behind, um, mostly poor and people of color in you know places like North and West Philly we're thinking about the things that we know Philadelphia will face, which is extreme heat, flooding, and a real problem around how to transition off of fossil fuels as a city that has also just been super exploited by the fossil fuel industry and over polluted and the site of endless refineries and really thinking about what a victory for public health it would be were we to move away from that. We were really thinking about what does climate change look like here where we are and how can we both confront and adapt to that in ways that make our collective lives more livable. Before starting the laboratory, Emily and Dave were longtime friends who met organizing against prison expansion. I asked them how their backgrounds in community organizing informed their work in the Holobiant Lab and how their approach to addressing climate change is different from larger mainstream environmental organizations. We're starting from an unslash under resourced position, which I think is also equivalent to the spaces and neighborhoods we're working out of and to the movement spaces we're connected to. So we don't presume resources. And I think that can not just be a position of lack, but actually a position of agency in that you're trying to come up with those things that are possible even when these other things aren't available. And I think we are coming out of movement spaces that have repeated experiences of those places with resources not showing up. So trying to be in the spirit of those organizations to come up with solutions when the resources don't show up. How do we still show up for one another? Also, we're trying to connect it with the idea of abolition, which is not just prison abolition, but also the idea that we have to rethink the dynamics of society drastically to address things like harm and violence. 
The Holobiont Laboratory's first project was installing solar power on a live-in van. After learning the basics of solar energy installation, they began collaborating on projects with community groups, most of whom Emily and Dave had existing relationships with. They solarized a second van for an organizer in Right to the City, who uses it to meet with people fighting evictions. We're interested in this for ourselves and for what it could offer more largely to be a combination of practical, affordable solutions and experimentation. There was a chance to both create some prototypes that were like imminently deployable and like easily replicable and that others could try on their own. And then also to try some things out that really might go either way or work or not work and like learn some things along the fashion of it. And that that is probably what the larger circumstances require also. Their largest project has been a solar installation at Abolition Plaza, a green space connected to the West Philly offices of the Human Rights Coalition, or HRC, and the Coalition to End Death by Incarceration, or CADB. In 2021, in collaboration with HRC and CADB members, they built a COVID-safer outdoor meeting and socializing space with seating and a table covered by a shade structure roofed with solar panels. The solar panels provide power for an automated rain barrel irrigation system in the adjacent community garden, as well as a wireless access point and an outlet for small electronics like laptops or cell phones. In 2022, Lab collaborated on a solar power project with Inglacius Garden, a community garden in North Philly that has been in a multi-year struggle to protect their land from developers. Part of what we're doing is trying to support organizations and movements in the spirit of solidarity. Iglesias Gardens is in the middle of a land struggle for this land around where they have their garden in the face of really intense gentrification that doesn't take the people in the neighborhood into account. After they complete a project, a detailed and illustrated explanation of how they did it is posted to Holobiant Lab's website. They want the information to be available to anyone who wants to learn about solar or make their own project. The things we build, we want to try to do as open source as possible so people can replicate them. Community and collectivity are central to Holobiont Lab's work and their name. Holobiont is a word that means the whole unit of life and speaks to interconnectedness. And it's also often a word they used to talk about organisms like coral, where the amoebas and stuff that live inside them are not just symbiotic, like they're not just acting together, but they're literally integrally dependent on one another. They couldn't digest their own nutrition without the presence of these other creatures inside them. And so for us, it was really a way to think about deep interdependence, really like we're all in it. And if we just try to salvage ourselves alone, that actually is not simply selfish, but actually will be completely unsuccessful. We are an interconnected neighborhood in this way and an interconnected space. So it was a chance for us to think about that notion as a survivability tactic and not just like a utopian dream. To learn more about Holobiont Lab's work, you can visit holobiontlab.org. That's H-O-L-O-B-I-O-N-T-L-A-B.org.
What is a name? What's in a name? What do names mean? Block-by-block reporter Felicia Kasher says our names hold power and tell a unique story. Tonight, she explores the stories of two names, her husband, Mazi Kasher, and her friend, Noni Shabazz. What is the story behind your name? Mazi means child of the light. Kasher means kosher. It's French pronunciation of kosher. So, to me, that means blessed. Was there a particular reason why you were given that name? I was born Constance Yvonne Wilson. And I hated my name on go. On go. Although my parents loved my name, my mother in naming me wanted me to have a name that was classic. I knew that because I asked her, why did you name me that? And she was like, it's a classic name. People can't tell if you're black or white. That was very important to my mother because I was born in the 60s and what was going on in the 60s was a deep racial terror and uh, heavy discrimination and blatant racism, etc. So it was important for her to name her children names in which they couldn't tell who we were until they saw who we were. Have you ever faced any challenges or difficulties because of your name? I was, you know, struggled a little bit at first with like, well, why would I go through all this trouble and then pick essentially European names? Uh, Mazi is a Scottish word. I mean, child of the light, it means that in Scottish, which is, you know, a variant of English. And then cashier or cashier in French. But, you know, I mean, everybody comes from Africa, and spiritually, there is no such thing as an African, uh, a European. Or, so, you know, the name soothed me and spoke to me, and I selected it. Do you feel your name accurately represents your personality or identity? I think that all of my names are important. I answer to all of my names, all of them. I answer to my nicknames. I have many of those. I respond to Noni. I respond to all of my names. The names are a look into who I am and who I've become and who I am becoming. How has your name influenced your life or career choices? Well, a couple of years ago, probably 2020, if if memory serves me correct, I felt called into a new chapter of life, a new line of work, which was actually an evolution of my previous concentration, which was storytelling, mostly through rap records as a recording artist, and very much focus on messages and stories that encourage Black people to be a bit more adventurous and 
proactive in programming ourselves out of the residue of slavery and all that relevant or related dysfunction. So I did that. I guess as much as I was putting that message out, I was giving it to myself and I kind of talked myself into moving more from just words into actions. I moved back to this city, which I have a very love-hate relationship with. I hadn't lived here for 12 years. Uh, I mean, I was known here by another name I took, an artist name, which, you know, I spent 23 years acclimating people to calling me that, and many people still do identify me as that, which I'm totally fine with. And I've seen, like, I've earned that people call me my Z and not the name that I was given. What advice would you give someone who is struggling with their own name or identity? It is essential to all people, but particularly melanated people, but to all people to examine themselves, to check in, to see if they are peace with themselves. Are they peace with their lives? That we be intentional about what we call each other, what we call our children, how we frame the things that we attribute to ourselves. We face challenges no matter what our names are. I think the challenges are around our beingness, right? Around our humanness. As you well know, you know, I am is whatever follows that it is going to be what it is. So we have to be very, very careful. So I really appreciate this idea of getting people to stop and think about what does their name mean? And if they don't know to go find out and maybe they'll learn some things about themselves and maybe they'll consider or be able to assess maybe why their lives are the way they are. You know what I'm saying? Felicia says her conversation about names inspired her to recite an original poem called Say My Name. You will speak my name correctly. Accent all the syllables required and give life to the gift my mama gave me as a verbal blessing. You will enunciate the consonants, breathe power into the vowels, and do it easily and effortlessly without questioning its etymology or the privilege of you giving me a nickname of your choice. You will give voice to my full name in classrooms, boardrooms, in meetings and inductions, in the streets, at home, at graduations and celebrations, in church and at the mosque, with all of its earned titles, without confusion or anxiety, or your microaggressions, because you think it should sound different than what I told you it was. You will ask me when you don't know how to pronounce my name properly, paying close attention to my response as I slowly formulate my lips to phonetically comfort and then check you with love once, maybe twice if I deem appropriate, so you will get it in the depths of your spirit. 
you will announce, declare, affirm, and proclaim my name in all of its glory, honoring my cultural identity off the tip of your tongue while giving verbal libations to my honorable ancestors who sing to its generational glory. You will say my name because my name has power, respectfully, period. Block by Block is produced by Kathy Brown, Felicia Kasher, E. Marie Lambert, Roxanne Logan, Robin Markle, and us, Unique Myrie, and Laura Rosenbach. Kathy Brown is our board operator for tonight. Brad Linder is Radio News Managing Editor for WPPM. Peter Liu is Radio Operations Manager, and Alison Durham is WPPM's Radio Program Manager. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of Block by Block, featuring more stories about issues affecting life in the Philly region. And you can find past episodes of the show on PhillyCam's SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you find your podcasts.